Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 22, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Eight Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, how you doing, brother? Mike, earlier this week, I cracked my jaw. And let me tell you something. I used to crack my jaw all the time. Are you okay? Well, I'm about to explain. Okay. I used to crack my jaw all the time. And then one day when I was in high school, I cracked it. And I was like, that was great. And then I went to, like, put it back. Like, it doesn't, like, pop out or anything, but just, like crack it and then you return it and it wouldn't go back like my jaw was like stuck in like like the full cracked position and i was like ah and then eventually after a little bit i like kind of popped it back in it really hurt and then it hurt for the next couple of days and i was like man i can never crack my jaw ever again that's so bad but sometimes i accidentally crack it just like while i'm doing regular things and then it hurts for days it's so sore so that's what's happening to me right now overall you're okay Every day is a good day to be alive. There we go. Also, I cracked my jaw. (laughs) (laughs) So, Ben, as we move towards this preview, I should probably pull up the injury report so that we can get you, gentle listener, up to date. You've seen this, uh, you've seen this, this Sayomalo, Sayomalo Kelsey, little Wisniewski nonsense? Yeah, is Sayomalo going to start at left guard? What is happening? So, they've got, uh, so Kelsey's apparently been, he's been braced up this week. Which, offensive linemen are very often braced up, so I don't really know how much that matters. Beats are saying, like, he seemed a little hampered in practice, he seemed a little off during games. I don't know how, to the extent to which I've noticed that. But Kelsey is just generally not 100%. He's getting a rest day today. And Doug's saying, like, yeah, he's just a veteran, he's old, we're giving him a rest day, that's it. But, with Sayomalo taking reps at left guard and center, you have to assume that they are thinking to themselves, if Kelsey is a no-go, or if he's limited, or if he doesn't look good, then we potentially put Samuel in at center, or put Samuel in at left guard and move Wisniewski to center. Both of which, y'all should see Mike's face right now, both of which are really, really bad eventualities. Uh, both, we gotta hope Kelsey's okay. But I don't think they're, like, making a change on offense, like, Wisniewski's really playing poorly, so they're gonna put Samuel in. I don't think that's what's happening. I'm pretty sure it's, it's Kelsey's banged up right now. Yeah, he's been dealing with that knee for for a bit now. Wow, that's de- ah. Ooh, that's depressing. Okay, so there's that. And uh, I'm looking at the injury report from Thursday because we're recording this early on Friday. Ben, do you have another uh, update as far as anybody else? Because le- yesterday it was Derek Parnett with a shoulder did not participate. Corey Clement with a quad did not participate. Darren Sproles with his knee, same thing. And full participation was Fletcher Cox, Alshon Jeffrey, and uh, Jason Peters, who's still dealing with that quad injury. Do you see anything else out there that uh, that is news and noteworthy from the from the injury report? From what I understand, both Clement and Derek Barnett 
are going to like they're gonna like 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 try to go today at practice and how they perform at practice today will dictate whether or not they play on Sunday. Now, obviously, uh, you know, Josh Sweat would likely be the next man up in the situation in which Barnett cannot go. Barnett, I believe, is dealing with a shoulder. Yeah. Again, I'm not I, I, I can't find on tape. Yeah. Against, I don't know where that uh, happened. Against the Titans, where that happened. Um, maybe it happened late. Maybe it's a pain thing. I don't know. You know, bad bruise or whatever. Obviously, Clement being able to come back would be really, really good news. Mike, that would be just, that would really help. That'd be awesome. And I think you'd have less pass protection concerns uh, with Clement there in the backfield. So let's hope for Clement. Uh, obviously, hope for Derek Barnett as well. But those two are the two that I've heard are kind of like, you know, push the starting roster today. Alshon's already back. Uh, Darren Sproles looks like it's at least another week for Darren. So. That's where we're at. Yeah, and it looks like the Vikings on their side, they might be missing Trey Waynes, who is still in the concussion protocol. Oh, snap. Yeah, that would weaken their defensive secondary. That is, uh, I mean, we could have picked on on Waynes kind of anyway, but his replacement is not going to be much better. You think, they, uh, you think they're going to put Mac Alexander on the outside yeah. and then leave Mike Hughes inside? Think yeah, that's what it is? I think that would be the move. That's most yeah. likely what I think is going to happen. Uh, and then you get, but you know, We'll see what happens come uh, come game day. Weird things happen. Guys get what you know switched from nickel corner to safety, like Avanti Maddox. So these coaches get creative. Dalvin Cook still dealing with his ha- with his hamstring. He says he's trying to work his way back to one hundred percent. He's not there yet. That running game has been anemic, as we talked about on the last Kiston Solak show. Go back and listen to that. The defense of the Eagles against the offense of the Vikings. That preview show today. We're going to be flipping it around. Vikings defense has to stop the Philadelphia Eagles offense after being a sieve, said it correctly, that boy Mike against the Buffalo Bills, and then being another, and then being a bigger sieve against the Los Angeles Rams. But I mean, it's understandable. I understand, like like the Buffalo game, they just find out about Everson Griffin, so there's already going to be some some drop off there. Not only just from not having Griffin on the field, I think they're lacking leadership on that defense, and also just the shock of finding out. So that could maybe go towards explaining the biggest upset probably all season, depending on how things work out. But then you come and uh, and you get shredded up by the Los Angeles Rams, who are very good at attacking the Vikings. I think the Eagles have a similar path to success. We were talking before the show. There are ways to gash this Vikings defense. The thing that I'm most concerned about, and I want to bring this up right at the top, is the fact that the Vikings, we, when we think about the Vikings, we th- typically think about a team that can get after the quarterback. Well, without Everson Griffin, they just haven't been able to, but they still have a way to get to the Eagles in this game. So week one against San Fran, they had a 50% pressure rate. Week two, Green Bay, 33%. Week three, Buffalo, 30%. Week four against mm-hmm. the Rams, only 31%. Those aren't terrible pressure rates. And 11 sacks in four games isn't bad by any means. But this is a line that is now missing Everson Griffin, is relying heavily on Donnell Hunter, who I think is heavily slept on. He has four sacks so far. And Sheldon Richardson, who has racked up 16 pressures this year and is playing good ball. Outside of those two, who do they have getting after it? Because none of the interior guys... You watch your mouth around Linval Joseph, sir. I, I love Linval Joseph. I like Linval, but he's not just like that consistent pressure guy for me. I mean... I'll be honest with you. He's better this year than I think he's been in years past generating pressure. Obviously, he's like he's a zero tech. Like, that's his job. He just eats space. <laughs> but I freaking love him. Yeah. Uh, he had a couple good rushes. He had a great rush against the Rams where he just put that center on his butt. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of his, but he's not, he's not getting home like uh, Everson would. And neither is uh, Stefan Weatherly, whoever that is. 
and Deshaun Bauer. Those those aren't the guys. Is, to... is Weatherly that that ninety one? Yeah, and then Bauer's ninety, right? Yeah, neither of them yeah. know what's up. So what do you have to do to make up for that? Well, you have to send extra. And right now, Anthony Barr is blitzing on 19% of his snaps. Eric Kendricks is blitzing on 13% of the pass plays. But that number is going up after the loss of Griffin. So you see them straining to generate a pass rush. And you, you can look at the safeties, too. Combine Harrison Smith and Andrew Sandejo. Five blitzes from week one to two. Eight combined blitzes from weeks three to four. That's not a big change, but it fits into the larger picture of Mike Zimmer trying to find ways to get after the quarterback beyond just his front four. So pressure rates are going down. Blitz rates are going up. And what does that leave you with? It leaves you with less coverage guys in a defense that has become uncharacteristically vulnerable at all three levels. However, the way that they can get to the quarterback, and this is why it's important that Corey Clement plays, is they love to double mug the A-gap with their linebackers. And that is going to give you protection issues because you have to work between, and especially if Kelsey is missing, that'd be crazy. You have to work with the center and the running back to pick those two guys up. The problem is not all two of them come. One of them will drop out, and then the running back has a dual read. He has to read, if his guy's coming, I pick him up. If it's not, you have to look outside, and that's where Harrison Smith is coming from. So those types of looks gave us issues against the Tennessee Titans, and you could see that there were spots where Smallwood missed his read, or uh, Wisniewski didn't slide right, or, or whatever the case may be. Those are things that can, can get exposed by this Vikings defense. It is still solid on third down for all their other problems and being bad in a lot of different areas. They're still like top five in, in third down conversion percentage. And a lot of the thanks to that goes to these these blitz packages that they have. Ben, did you see a similar thing? Are you concerned? Yeah. So I think if we define this defense, I think like, you know, if you were to define the Eagles defense, you kind of start with the defensive line and you move your way back. Right. If you were to define the Vikings defense, in my opinion, you do so by... Uh, starting in the secondary and moving your way forward. Right. Number one, they trust Andrew Sandejo and Harrison Smith both to do everything on the field. Line up as linebackers, line up as defensive ends, line up as slot corners, line up as the deep safety, line up as the strong safety. Either one can do everything, which is great. Like, you know what I mean? I, I think that with Harrison Smith, that's awesome. I think with Sandejo, uh, he can get very aggressive, especially yeah. when he's playing downhill. Uh, but still, I feel like he's, he's like his... His just body type and his physical profile, he's a good athlete, lends itself to being interchangeable. So you start there. And then you start with Xavier Rhodes plus Trey Waynes. Whether or not uh, Trey Waynes is a good idea here, they are very comfortable playing straight man coverage with whoever you put on the boundary. And then pattern matching, running, uh, you know, like cover three Mabel, running solo out of quarters yeah, with, with just man everywhere he goes. We call it Meg coverage, man everywhere he goes on the backside receiver with Xavier Rhodes or with Trey Waynes, which you want that to be Trey Waynes, by the way. That you try to get that set up. But yeah. they'll do it with 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 either one and Xavier Rhodes is quite good at it. So they feel very comfortable trusting those back four to do more than most in the league. They have more responsibilities uh than most in the league. And that's kind of Zimmer's way. They've done, in my opinion, in the first four weeks of the young season. More complex things, more uh, switching off of coverages, more passing off of routes, and and uh, you know, kind of these cover uh, these pattern matching ideas than they have in previous years. Part of that uh, it, it lends itself really well to the third down play. Uh, you're able to send a blitz, and then to the strong side, you pattern match so that hot route isn't there, and then you can generate pressure. Okay. The the flip side, 
The backside. The defilip side, some would say. Oh, my gosh. You've got Anthony Barr lined up on Cooper Cup on a third down, right? Like, it's not great. Yeah. Because you're kind of asking, you know, your players to read the releases. And if you get complex switch releases from the, the strong side, you're going to get a, a matchup problem. And you saw that against Buffalo. You saw that against Los Angeles. And you saw it against Green Bay. So that's a common thread there. But again, we're defining the defense. You step forward. And now you got Eric Kendricks, uh, Anthony Barr. Kendricks can do a lot of stuff. Anthony Barr, they're blitzing off the side, especially in the loss of Griffin. They'll put him down on the line of scrimmage, and they'll run him like a D-end, which out of UCLA is something that we talked about Barr could do. He could kind of provide you outside linebacker, inside linebacker versatility in that way because he was a good rush guy. Um, But he specifically has been a guy who I think has been struggling Uh, against play action. He's he's very aggressive into the line. He flows very, very hard, and the jet motion from Los Angeles was just killing him. Right, because he was jumping at shadows all day long there. And then, uh, you know, Kendricks, like I said, is, I think he's been playing well. And finally, that brings you into the front four, uh, which is a case where they are asking their front four, even in the absence of Griffin, to get pressure with four more often than not. And simply, you know, Shell Richardson, Danell Hunter on paper, yeah, that's troublesome, but it simply hasn't been. Uh, Richardson's not the player that he was. Hunter is a guy who's good for a quick win. Like, yeah. you know, if he beats you with explosiveness and bend, then you're in trouble right away. But the consistency isn't there, yeah. yeah. And it's not like the Eagles style uh, pressure where if a quarterback's in the pocket for two seconds, somebody's coming. Yeah. Somebody has beaten somebody by this point. You know what I mean? Like, if you can bury Hunter, he doesn't have much in the ways of counters. Or I would even say, like, power, which is crazy because he's strong. But he's not a guy who, like, you've got me locked up while well, I can walk you back into the quarterback. You know, he doesn't really do that as much. Right. At least as much as I anticipated. He pulls it off sometimes, but... Not as much as I would have thought. And so you're at a point where you are putting a great amount of stress on your back four. And then your back five when you have rookie Mike Hughes in to run very complex coverages, occasionally asking Rhodes slash Waynes to just be one-on-one with X receivers, number one receivers, which is always like, you know, a difficult ask. The wide receiver will always have the advantage there. Also asking Harrison Smith and, and Anderson Dejo and sometimes, like we said, Anthony Barr, to just run downfield with like good tight ends and and wide receivers, and that's very very difficult. So this defense, I think, you 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 see similar themes in the Buffalo and the Los Angeles games in terms of how they were beaten. A big buzz around the Los Angeles offense, Mike, is this idea of reduced splits, and we've mm. talked about reduced splits on the podcast before. It's where you take your outermost wide receivers and you line them up closer to the line of scrimmage, inside of the numbers, closer to the hashes. This causes problems because it allows even your outermost receivers to have both inside and outside releases possible where typically when they're outside to the boundary they can't release to the outside there's nothing there it's just the sideline yeah this also mike and this is the big issue you're seeing conflates the rules of a lot of pattern matching coverages Mm -hmm. pattern matching coverages like uh you know the the nick saban pattern match coverage which is very popularized and a lot of people you know a rip liz coverage a lot of people hear about this predicated on the idea that there's like a, uh, a, a an, an invisible divider that divides the field into thirds. And if a wide receiver is lined up inside of that divider, you play them differently than if they're lined up outside of that divider. And the coverage is predicated on the idea that receivers will line up outside of the divider. That's what they do usually, right? And so these pattern matching concepts very frequently, first outside release, second outside release, start with outside leverage. When you move to reduce splits and that, that corner is starting with outside leverage – but there's so much more room now for on the outside for a second receiver to come in and the first receiver can still go inside. Yeah. You're you're playing by the same rules, but they were built to handle a different style of offense. Out of these reduced splits, Mike, the flats of the Minnesota Vikings defense are very, 
very weak. And you saw this. They're giving up a third in the highest, uh, third highest in the league, excuse me, yards per catch to running backs. Yeah. Because they can't cover running backs when they get into the flat, especially when they're in these man coverage pattern matching scenarios, because they're asking linebackers lined up inside the tackle box to cover the flats in like a quarters cover four situation. And they can't get there in time, especially with reduced splits. There's way too much garbage. There's yeah. too much trash to get through, to sift through. It's very, very easy to attack the flats, Mike. Corey Clement would have a big day if he's playing for sure. Yeah. And so that's the first thing that I noticed watching this this defense. Running back targets should be a big part of the game plan. Yeah, and I agree with a lot of what you said there. Before I ask you a follow-up question about one of the players that you mentioned, I do want to bring up the fact that it is apparently official now that Isaac Siamalu is starting at left guard in place of Steven Wisniewski. What? Yeah, just go to bleedinggreennation.com. You'll see the big hair. That'll be your your tip to what article to to, to click. Why? I mean, Wisniewski hasn't he's he's struggled, but like still Siamalu. I I've never once thought to myself that Isaac Siamalu might be a solution to a problem. Yeah, exactly. And watch, we're gonna have this guard by committee again that we had early last year. I don't I don't. Oh man, I'm gonna. <laughs> burn somebody oh dude you know who i'm thinking about chance, chance warmack oh hey the three-headed monster that is our left guard spot again goodness that's so that's trouble uh like you said i do think it's very important that Corey clement plays not only for the blitz issues pickups that i brought up but also attacking this team in the flat so that's something to watch for definitely look in this secondary the vikings are 10th in the league in most explosive plays allowed, 17 plays over 20 yards in the air, zero runs over 20 yards. But you take out those runs, they're seventh most, seventh most through the air. There have been so many breakdowns in their coverages, and uncharacteristically, Xavier Rhodes has not been his usual shutdown self. And when you have Trey Wayne's opposite of that, Andrew Sandejo struggling, you got a nickel corner like Mike Hughes, who is capable of making splash plays, but is still drinking through a fire hose as a rookie. And you get the feeling that this is an area where the Eagles can win. And looking at their past, and uh, they really do need to manufacture some of these explosive plays because the Eagles' offense so far hasn't been really good at it. I do remember, though, last year, I watched Alshon Jeffrey against Xavier Rhodes. Every snap that they played Mm -hmm. against each other in their career. And Alshon played quite well against them and had some answers for Rhodes. And it wasn't always the most robust stat line, but Alshon is the type of guy that gives Rhodes problems. And Rhodes has been struggling a bit this year. This entire secondary has been struggling a bit this year. So how do you feel about the matchups with these corners? And actually, the one question I had for you, the follow-up question I had for you is about Anthony Barr. I feel he's being unjustly blamed for a lot of the coverages that he ends up in that aren't necessarily his responsibility. But that's how bad I think the secondary is busting overall, that he ends up on a guy like Cooper Cup. Right. So uh, we'll talk about general pattern matching ideas. So one of the the common tropes that you have to have in a pattern match offense, because pattern matches are kind of predicated on the idea that, okay, on the backside, those receivers are going to kind of stay there. And then on the front side, we'll be able to deal with all these receivers going around and all these crossers. And quick mesh crossers F this defense up. And the reason is because... In the linebacking, in the in the uh, the underneath middle of the field zones, you have to have a push call, and a push call basically says like, all right, I'm the strong side backer. I'm pattern matching the the three wide receiver side with the nickelback, with the safety, and with the cornerback. But two crossers come my direction. Two inside releases come my way. I have to make a push call. I have to basically tell the the defense and then the will backer behind me. Listen, we got to push this zone 
further to the weak side. Right. Gonna push. I, I can't take the first crosser. Usually my responsibility. I got to take the second crosser. Somebody else got to take the first crosser. Because I take the first crosser, second crosser going to be wide open. Yeah. So that cup situation, I'm relatively certain. I'm not positive. I've no, I, I haven't studied the defense well enough. I don't know what match they ran. I'm relatively certain. Bar, and it was a really nice little wrinkle because they had jet sweet, uh, jet motion coming from the strong side to the weak side, which drags Bar in, right? Bar reacts to that. He steps towards the weak side, right? And then once he realizes it's play action, well, what's, what's your instinct? It's to go back to where you were, right? Yeah. But they've got Cup now, again, coming from the strong side to the weak side. He crosses Bar's face and shoots right up the field. And so Bar, like, you know, I got to come left. I got to go right. I got to go left again. Like, very, a lot of panic. They put him in a really conflicting spot. And I think that's because they know that that weak side backer's responsibility was to take that first immediate crosser, right? When they mm. get a mesh crosser right away, Minnesota's pushing him to the weak backer. Again, because they're very comfortable leaving Xavier Rhodes one-on-one back there, yeah. right? They'll leave Xavier Rhodes one-on-one on the weak side with the receiver. So that weak side backer doesn't really have that many responsibilities, okay? So I think that they probably adjusted that so as to let Barr just play the jet motion and then have the safety roll down to the crosser. That's what I would do. Right. Is you would take your – oh, mother pearl. <laughs> Ben is having ah. issues with with his local fire state. Is that, is, is that a fire truck you got going on there? Yes, it's a fire truck. How many fires are being lit in your city? Uh, so here's my theory. Is this an NFC Championship game after party? It's, it's shocking because like I had a I had a fire station across from my old apartment, and we rarely had these problems. But that fire station had like two fire trucks in it. I think it was like exclusively a local station, right? I live much closer to a main road now. And so I think I'm not necessarily getting fire trucks from that old station. I think I'm getting fire trucks that are relocating, that are moving around. This is insane because, like, <laughs> usually I get these at night. Yeah. We are recording at noon. Yeah. Look, this is what we, we need to figure out something for the podcast that we do. We just stop and do it every time we hear a fire truck. There's got to be some gotta, kind of we gotta bit we drink, can do. man. We got to take shots. Are you going to take shots of your Arnold Palmer? All right. I think we're good. Please continue. At least what that's what I would do is I would be rotating the safety down. So Barr just goes for the jet motion, and then you take your weak side safety. Even if it's the free safety and you rotate him at the snap with the uh, with the motion, you let him take the first cross, or it's going to leave you in cover zero. But then you're not asking Barr to run with slot receivers. But again, Mike, again, Cooper Cup's lined up in a reduced split in this situation. He has the potential to be a run-blocking player, right? He has the potential to crack block, to down block, mm-hmm. you know, to do a little crack toss sort of thing. By the way, Philadelphia loved that crack toss uh, against, who did they play week three? The Colts? Yeah. They got to do that again. Crack toss has got to come back in a big way. That's another thing about the condensed splits that you get to. You get that wide receiver on a right. linebacker, and then you get your running back on a defensive back. Right. So you got to go ahead. You have to crack toss for sure. Cup has the potential to crack block in the situation. They have to keep a linebacker in. They need to be prepared for the run. Yeah. Reduce splits. You got extra blockers in the box. You can use those guys. So this is um it's really great game planning by McVeigh, as we've come to expect, but we should also expect great game planning from Doug Peterson, something we've seen a lot of. So man, reduced splits, very quick crossers coming across, those quick mesh crossers. You're gonna get linebackers on those guys for sure. Uh and then being able to work the flats with the running backs. The final point that I would make, just kind of in this schema. And this is something I discussed on last year's pods, and this is something that I've written about, and I think it will bring it into this year's pods. The Philadelphia Eagles offense is a backside offense. It is a weak side offense. I will yeah. die on this hill. <laughs> it simply comes down to the idea of, like, would you rather have seven blockers blocking a seven-man box or five blockers blocking a five-man box when you're running the football? 
And the answer is... Five men blocking five men. Yeah. Five men blocking five men, there's less room for, you know, ridiculousness. There's less room for chaos. And there's just generally more space. Yeah, you don't need seven guys to execute versus that, and you, you yeah. get more space for the running back to operate in. By the same token... When the Eagles have the option to throw to the three-receiver side, which has, you know, four defenders there, or the two-receiver side's got three defenders there, they very frequently run their offense through the weak side. Right. Because there's more space. Yeah. There's 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 less people. There is more space to throw the football, which is just like a very easy idea. It's like weak side action in basketball, right? That's just where you want to go with the, with the ball. But it's something that... that so many offenses have just been predicated in history with like, all right, we got to run this route concept. We need three receivers. We throw to the strong side. The Eagles are very comfortable going to the backside against the Vikings. You will get four over three to the the strong side. You will get five over three to the strong side, and you will get one-on-one -on -one to the weak side all of the time. And this is why the flats become open, because you're asking Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks from the middle of the field to go catch Corey Clement out in the flat because you 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 ran him out to the weak side. So what you should expect to see is a ton of backside work for Philadelphia, especially if the offense <laughs> clearly something's going on. Like this has like been for like 20 minutes. Should now. I be concerned? Because is there an outbreak? If these are your last words, I want you to make them good ones, Ben. Especially if the offense <laughs> isn't necessarily clicking at all on all cylinders. If things aren't going great, then you got to start just taking your isolation backside matchups. You got to take Zach Ertz against, you know, uh, Harrison Smith as the backside X. You got to take Alshon versus Xavier Rhodes as the backside yeah. X, and you just got to go for it. Ben, I'll put you on the spot. Most receiving yards this game for an Eagles receiver, tight end, running back. Uh, who gets the most? Who gets the biggest chunk of this pie? It's very interesting because... Who would you guess was the leading receiver from the Bills-Vikings game? Probably some weird tight end. Probably like a... Like For the Bills, it was Chris Ivory with 70 <laughs> yards. Because they have no receivers. Chris I was going to pick a wide receiver. I'm not a dummy. <laughs> he had he had, one, uh, he had one catch for 55 yards, which kind of like put him <laughs> over, right? But they had, you know, uh, 30 yards to Andre Holmes, 30 yards to Kelvin Benjamin. Like it was just, it was... Yeah, they had, and they had short fields, yeah. Yeah, and they had short fields. So running backs <laughs> really, were very effective. Ivory, that's awesome. <laughs> that being Bills. said... <laughs> the Eagles showed that they can take this offense to throw deep on it. I am going to take Alshon Jeffrey. He's going to be the guy that I go for because I simply see him getting a, a another very healthy amount of target share. So there you go. Opportunity equals production. Rhodes is going to have to come out for a play. They're going to have Alshon Jeffrey tagged on one of those one of those digs where he just takes it up the field like he did in the championship game. Like they 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 did that a few times that game. I think they saw something there. So yeah, I'm going to mm -hmm. Alshon Jeffrey would have been my guy. You still got Zach Ertz, who's out there getting 14 targets last game, so he's definitely a threat to that. We'd love to see a little bit more Dallas Goddard this game, get him involved in the passing game. But he's been he's been awesome, even though he was it was what he was targeted two times last game, but he was solid in the run game. He's been he's been good for mm -hmm. us. So overall, your feelings about this offense and how many points they're going to score? Let's let's wrap it in with the final score prediction. Let's do it that way. Final score. I'm going to go 27. They're, no, I want, I want to go the over this game. I mean, if you take 27-20, you've got the over. No, nah, 27-13. I'm afraid to be great. I'll take the under. 27-13. I think they, I think they control this whole thing. Uh, the only thing I'm really concerned about is the deep play action shots from the Vikings. I think that's what can kill us if we can't figure out what we want to be as a, as a coverage unit schematically and uh, with mm -hmm. personnel too. And then on the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles, I'm mostly concerned with um, giving up pressure to those those double mug looks. If yeah, I might have to recalibrate my expectations now that Isaac Sayomalo is the starting left guard. That's what I mean. 
you're it feels like you're adding new communication issues that aren't really necessary. You should be giving it one more week to try to get right. Maybe they did. Maybe they did last week and, and Wisniewski wasn't on the same page because him and Peters didn't work all that great together in the last game. So maybe they're trying something because of that. I will say that Stalin was really trying to sell us on the idea that Sayombolo was much better this year. I remember that in the offseason and you were like, nah, Chief. <laughs> I'm gonna be real with well, you. Well he was like he was like he's really the most improved lineman we have here. Which I wanted to be like Okay, the fact that Mylotta couldn't take a pass set when he came and now can just <laughs> literally like he has to be the most improved then just like scientifically. But anyway, I uh, say like he's most improved. It's just he's getting a bad rap because of the snapping. And my point was, well, you know, like if you can't snap, then you're not a good center no matter what else you can do. So if he's left guard, yeah, like, you know, if he improved, which, which, you know, I don't think Stout is just like BSing us to make Samuel feel better. He's not that sort of a coach. We're going to find out very soon against Sheldon Richardson. Yeah, against Linville Joseph, in my opinion. And Linville Joseph, both of them. Actually, yeah. I mean, that's both of them are good tests. We're going to know right away from this game. It'll be fun. Really excited for that. <laughs> um, like I said, uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure what I said on the Andy Carlson show, which is a, a Vikings podcast that Mike and I were on. If you want to listen to that, that was a good time. Or if I said it here. But yeah, this, 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 like, it's not going to be. You know, twenty one fourteen. It's either going to be like seven to three mm. or thirty eight to thirty seven. Correct. Right? Like, those are the only two outcomes I could possibly see. You know what I mean? I think what the most underappreciated, reported kind of idea is that that it kind of breaks it for me is that this Eagles defense knows Kirk Cousins quite well mm. and has been able to play well against Kirk Cousins in the past. Has mm-hmm. been able to really hassle Kirk Cousins. Uh, and as we saw in the Buffalo game and even in in the uh, the Green Bay game. Cousins will turn the football over in very stupid ways. So, you get in pressure with front four. You for, forcing Cousins to get off of his rhythm. That was the way to beat Cousins in Washington. Uh, they had a much better offensive line in Washington. Right. So, to me, I think this is a game where I still anticipate the defense to be able to be quite successful. Be able to move Cousins off his spot to force some stupid turnovers to get the Eagles into weird, uh, you know, short field situations like kind of happened with Buffalo. So, I am going to take Philadelphia. I do anticipate them winning. I would say I do not think we're going to clear the over on this one. Usually just the over is my go-to bet. I know that there's a lot of love for the over right now. The Eagles can't really handle wide receivers, and Diggs and Thielen are the only offense right now in Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota defense can't really handle anything at this point. They've really been struggling. Obviously, the play-action narrative has been a big one. Philadelphia runs a lot of play-action. But uh, I'm concerned about that offensive line. Now, especially with Sam Lowe in there, that does worry me a bit. I'll give it to Philadelphia, seventeen to seven, and an ugly one. But yeah, I just bait like you know, like annoying turnovers, some like yeah. drives that stall, some fourth down failures. This Vikings defense is really good at getting off the field. This Eagles defense is also really good at like letting you get down and then score. Maybe I'll go like sixteen six. You know, yeah. like like way more scoring opportunities, just way more field goals. Yeah, there have been some ugly execution things going on with the Eagles. Hopefully that gets cleaned up. But if they don't, that's what the scores kind of look like, gentle listener. So Ben, that does it for us this week. Say goodbye to the gentle listeners. Well, thank you so much for listening, gentle listeners. We do appreciate you, as always, listening to the Kiss and Solak show here on BGN Radio. I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist. That's K-I-S-T. Already dropped BGN Radio. Brandon Lee Gowan, John Stolness, who definitely knows Mike's name. Uh, and uh, they, uh, they've done their preview podcast. They've given their predictions. Make sure you go listen to that, obviously. Brandon and John always providing a different perspective uh, than Mike and I. So that's always good stuff to get. 
uh, Sunday, the immediate post-game reaction show. Always a few different voices that come into that one, so we'll see who brings it on through. If you go to the aforementioned bleedinggreennation.com, you will find the report that, yes, Isaac Samuel will be starting over Stefan Wisniewski. You'll also find uh, my mailbag and my All-22 film review for the Vikings-Eagles game. Mike, what do you got going up on the site? I've got uh, grading the defense through this last uh, this first quarter of the season, which should be fun. I'm sure the That's comments right. will not be on fire for that. And I'm going to try to get some some uh, next gen stats and and break that down for you guys uh, on the site. Next gen well. stats have been putting out some good stuff this year, man. Props Ooh. to next gen stats. X comp and then the expected uh different like the the X yak and, yeah. and all that stuff. Com- it's amazing. Uh, com- uh, completion percentage differential. Listen, all I know is I looked at the Cousins heat map charts and I was like, ah, so they don't throw the ball past the twenty. Okay. <laughs> As always, iTunes reviews. Please go ahead and leave those down. Five star ratings and reviews. We do appreciate them. We always read them. We make fun of them when they're funny. We mention them when they're funny. We make fun of them when they're not funny we make fun of them generally but go ahead and leave your thoughts we do appreciate them uh very much and as always uh thanks so much for joining us we will catch you next week we all we got we all we need fly eagles fly Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find this anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.